Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on favor doesn't add up. I want to start out with a quote from Billy Graham. Great person to quote, right? Uh, Your human mind with its philosophy of an equal return for favors done. Remember, this is where we started last week, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Some came at all different times of the day, and yet they were paid the same. And we talked about the reality that we weren't even supposed to be in the field. We are not even supposed to be counted. We're like dogs eating crumbs from the master's table. But he grafted us in, and he gives us what everybody gets, which is amazing. Your human mind with its philosophy of an equal return for favors done can hardly comprehend the full meaning of this grace of God. But when you catch by the inspiration of God its full meaning, you will leave the limits of human reasoning and revel in the spiritual riches of divine truth and privilege. Yes, the grace of God is a reality. Thousands have tried, tested, and proved that it is more than a cold creed, a docile doctrine, or a tedious theory. The grace of God has been tested in the crucible of human experience and has been found to be more than an equal for the problems of sin and humanity. I love that it's more than an equal. One of my favorite passages is where sin abounds, much more grace abounds. And sitting under the teaching of Pastor Tom Sturbins, he gave us an amazing analogy of sin pressing in and abounding, trying to suffocate like a python, trying to squeeze the life out of us. But where sin abounds and there's restriction and it seems like we're, our possibilities and potential are diminishing, much more grace abounds. And so grace is a force that pushes back. But what I love that Billy Graham says and what scripture says is that it does not just abound, it much more abounds. So grace is a force that, you know, uh, one of Newton's laws is an object stays in motion unless acted upon, I don't know all of it, but (laughs) unless acted upon by um, another object of equal or greater power. There you go. Y'all are good at that. So, preached about that one time, but I do not have that today. But it, it is not an equal force. It is a, a, a much more abounding force. And so, the kingdom of God does not just try to hold a, bound, a boundary. It does not just try to hold out the forces of darkness, but it much more abounds. So, every time there seems to be a losing of ground, then the boundaries are pushed back to a greater place than they were before. That's why it says, enlarge your territory, stretch out your tent, expand. 
It can be easy to beat yourself up about who you are and the situations you face. Does anybody ever say, I want to be used by God, but I'm not qualified? I want to be blessed by God. I want to walk in God's favor, but I don't deserve it. I want to trust God, but I messed up my life so bad. I want God to forgive me, but I don't think he can. Look at 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I'm going to jump in the amplified version for this passage. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has granted me the needed strength and made me able for this. Because he considered me faithful and trustworthy, putting me into service for this ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer of the Lord and a persecutor of his church and a shameful and outrageous and violent aggressor toward believers. And he's found him faithful, right? Yet I was shown mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord, his amazing unmerited favor and blessing flowed out in, the, in, out in superabundance for me together with the faith and love which are realized in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful and trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance and approval that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example or pattern for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of the ages, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen to Paul. He says, because I was... The foremost sinner, for that reason, I found mercy. For that reason, I found mercy because I was the foremost sinner because God wants to make an example of me, of his patience. I joke all the time and I say, you can't come here unless you have issues, right? And if you say you don't have issues, then that's your issue. You're a liar. <laughs> so if you have issues, then you are qualified for God's favor. We talked about the fair model last week, and Billy Graham hit it so well. Our philosophy of equal return for favors done. There's a whole worldly system that makes everything about what you do, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. We self-preserve, we climb ladders, we try to do all the things to position ourselves to be successful. But in the kingdom, it just doesn't work because we could never have done enough, right? I want to put just a couple of equations up. I think they've got them in the back. Identity, you guys got those? Identity plus purpose equals fulfillment. If you know who you are and you know God has a plan for your life, then it equals fulfillment. But then there's this thing that we do, we subtract from 
who we know we are and maybe what God has for you, and we put a but I in there. But I. But I did this. But I did this. But I can't do this. But I don't know this. But I, but I, but I, but I, but I. And it equals failure. But look, identity and purpose, but I, but I's are okay as long as you remember the but God's. Okay? Because for every but I, there's a but God. Okay? And that equals fulfillment. Every time there's a but I in your story, there's a but God. And it will change the situation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God still loved us with such a great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy, even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. We're now co-seated as one with Christ. But God, he still loved us. Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. That is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith, by adhering to, relying on, the, and completely trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not ignore or nullify the gracious gift of the grace of God, his amazing unmerited favor. For if righteousness comes through observing the law, then Christ died needlessly. His suffering and death, death would have had no purpose whatsoever. Has anybody ever uh, trusted God, believed God, had faith in God? I used to constantly say to Jahan, I have absolutely no doubt in God's faithfulness. The problem is, is I have a lot of doubt in my ability to make the right choice in this situation. So I might make the wrong choice and nullify the faithfulness of God. And so many choices I've made in my life were absolutely racked with fear. I remember ministry moves and ministry decisions where it was evident what God was doing and moving, and I would anguish over every decision, wondering if potentially I would make a mistake and that would nullify God's ability to keep me. I'm probably the only person in this whole room that has done that. You know, pride... I believe is an overemphasis of your own worth. Some people think pride is just thinking too highly of yourself. I don't think pride is just thinking too highly of yourself. I think it's just thinking too much about yourself. And I think that paralyzing insecurity is birthed out of pride. 
because we have put our ability in the equation more than it should be factored in. And so it is God's ability that we should be factoring in. What I discovered is that Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I've heard this talked about so many different ways. We have watered it down in a conference to make it say, if you don't have a three-point vision for your church, it will not succeed. You know, it's great points that we make out of it, but it's, it just so lessens the full scope of it. Because this passion, I love the Amplified Version, says, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God. So where there is no redemptive revelation of God, we will be absolutely hijacked by fear, and we will be completely consumed thinking about what if I mess up? But if we have a redemptive revelation of God, if we can really see that he takes desolate lands and makes them as the Garden of Eden, if we really believe that he will take barren wombs and put life there, if we really believe that he'll take broken men and make them whole again, if we really believe those things, then we will be free to move forward in faith. But we have to have a redemptive revelation of God. We have to see him as a redeemer. Sometimes people think that I should not do this, but I can be counseling people. I was counseling someone just the other day. I, I don't even like to call it counseling. I was just talking to somebody hoping that something I said would make sense. Let's call it that. How's that? Since I'm not a counselor. But I was talking with someone the other day that's making some massive life decisions. And it would be so easy for me to see someone seemingly leaning towards a decision that I think is the right decision for their life. And it is the moral and righteous and godly decision. And what would we normally want to do is just jump on that, pounce on that, right? And add a whole lot of pressure to that to make sure they make the choice that they need to make. How many people have tried that? I've tried that many times before. And people that are seemingly on the course right to the right choice, the enemy is able to make a case out of my manipulation, like he made a case in the garden. See, he had nothing to work with in the garden. It was God speaking to them. Could you imagine if Sister Susie and Mr. Michael was in between that conversation and Michael was the one that told you you were going to die if you didn't do this or if you didn't do that? How much more ammunition would... Satan have if we got all in the middle of those conversations. And so sometimes we think the end justifies the means. So we'll say whatever we need to say to modify people's behavior. But here's what people don't like that I normally say to people that I feel are making destructive decisions with their lives. I don't say... If you don't turn, you're going to burn. 
I say, you know what? You can really make either decision in this moment. And I believe with all my heart that God is never going to quit pursuing you. And he's never going to quit coming after you. And I, and I hope and pray. Why don't we hope and pray that whatever door you may be considering passing by right now will come back around and God will give you another opportunity. I can't promise that. And you're going to live in a place that's definitely less than what he has for you until you decide to walk through that door. But I in no way want to place judgment on you and agree with the adversary and attempt to seal your fate if you don't do it the way I think you need to do it in this moment. That was just a little, little side track there. But there, I've said this before. You might want to write this down. If you can't see somebody whole and redeemed, then you should not speak to their brokenness. If you can't see them on the other side living and walking in the purposes of God for their life, then your motivation to speak is not to share a redemptive revelation of God with them because you don't have it to share. So you may be operating out of fear yourself. And what did Jesus say when they said, man, you're, he's casting out devils under Beelzebub. He said, a, a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. I am not doing this under Beelzebub. We can't expect as a church and as believers to go around constantly led by fear that people are not going to make right choices and then we try to help them make right choices and we don't ever see them living free and whole. We need to ask God to give us a redemptive revelation of them and then we need to just show them where we see them. Communicate that. But that's a good way to check your heart in a situation. If you can't see them free, then you probably should not speak to them about their bondage. Mark chapter 6. Afterwards, Jesus left Capernaum and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. On the Sabbath, he went to teach in the synagogue. Everyone who heard his teaching was overwhelmed with astonishment, they said among themselves, what incredible wisdom has been given to him. Where did he receive such profound insights? And what mighty miracles flow through his hands? Isn't this Mary's son, the carpenter, the brother of Jacob, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? And don't his sisters all live here in Nazareth? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is treated with honor everywhere except in his own hometown. Among his relatives and his own house, he is unable to do any great, he was unable to do any great miracle in Nazareth except to heal a few sick people by laying his hands on them. It's been several years ago, the Lord really illuminated this passage to me, and it's such a core foundational passage in my life and how God continuously reminds me. I asked Johan, I said, do I talk about this too much? I want to talk about this today. And she said, no, I think you need to talk about it again. So we're going to talk about it again. 
But the amazing thing in this passage in Mark chapter 6 is the people around Jesus were amazed by his wisdom. They were amazed by his authority and his power to work miracles. Then, then someone says, but isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this so-and-so's brother and so-and-so, his sisters, and don't we know him? Wasn't he a carpenter? All this stuff, and it says they got offended with him. And then it says he could not do many great miracles there. And the Lord showed me this about myself. And he says, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Has anybody ever had people tell you you're the most amazing thing since sliced bread? You've never had anybody tell you that? I have had people tell me stuff like that. Okay? I've had people flatter me and butter me and flip me and (laughs) saute me and all kinds of things, right? People say, you know, all kinds of stuff. Usually... I'll meet somebody, and in the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be rough. I'm not near as good as they say I am. And they're either crazy or they're just trying to butter me up for something. Because I know, I mean, my father-in-law, Randy, he tells me every Sunday how pitiful I am. (laughs) That makes you sound like the worst father-in-law, doesn't it? It's a little little game we have. He used to tell me how good I did on Sundays, and I told him he was kind of giving me a big head, so I wanted him to tell me how bad I was every week, and so he faithfully does that now. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think the better I do, the more emphatic he is of how bad it is, so Sundays that he forgets to tell me how bad I am, I'm like, it must have been bad, because <laughs> he didn't go out of his way to make sure I knew it wasn't good. Wink, wink, right? So he lets me know that. But some people, prophets can have honor. We can have honor. People can see positive things in our life. Now, I'm joking around. People obviously do flatter you and all that. But it's amazing how people can really see how amazing you are. Okay? People can see how amazing you are. Some of my greatest frustrations in pastoring and in leading people and, and it's working in recovery, one of my greatest frustrations over the years being connected in some way or another. And then we had a, a ministry for, for a year here. But the biggest frustration is they're more ama- I see them more amazing than they see themselves. I see their potential, and I see their life, and I see a reason to fight for something more than they see it sometimes. And so sometimes we can be prophets with honor and men and women of God with honor, and everybody can see it. I've sat down with people and wept and just said, I don't understand how the insecurity and the destructive behavior takes over your life. Like, I wish I was had as much potential as you. I, I wish I had as much potential as you. 
You're, you're like, you're way more charismatic. You're way better of a leader. You've got more gifting. You're, you're, you're smarter. You're more talented. All those things. I mean, I wish I had that, that you have. And I just weep and say, and I don't, I don't know why you can't see yourself as just the way I do with my crazy finite thought processes, but I wish we could see ourselves the way God sees us. So many times in my life, we go through these ups and downs and we say, whoa, did I just say that? Come on, let's quit thinking about Jesus in his hometown and let's start thinking about us in our head. Okay? This to me is a parable of me attempting to have the Jesus in me, no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me, and the restrictions I put on the life that I now live, which is Christ living through me, because of my own issues with what I, but I, right? Anybody ever, you just, you just sense the hope and the possibilities and the potential that God has for you in your life? Anybody have those moments, you know, that you feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof, you want to run into hell with a water pistol? You know, and you just know, I mean, you just know. I'll give you an example. When I was in the middle of COVID, I, in, in double pneumonia, I had a knowing that I could not die. I knew God wasn't done with me. I don't know why some people succumb and some people don't, but I knew I was not going to die. And that's just a one peripheral thought process and idea. But you know what I'm saying? There's times that you have just the confidence and the knowing. And I believe it's just like these people that heard Jesus speak and said, wow, what manner of wisdom has he been given? Sometimes the supernatural just overwhelms the natural and you just get a sense of what it feels like to be supernatural and used in the hand of God. And what power that you have and there's these times and there's these moments and there's these encounters with God and sometimes those encounters are robbed quickly by the seeds of the adversary that say, but you're just... So-and-so. Maybe you have forgotten why you're sitting here in la-la land thinking that potentially God is going to use your life. Maybe you have forgotten all of the record you have accumulated over your time. Maybe you have forgotten how inadequate you are and how unqualified you are and how, how much you have disqualified and you have... You have made a mess of everything, and there's no way. I remember, oh, my goodness, here's a rabbit trail. I remember, uh, man, this must be Pastor Tom Day. I'm going to tell another Pastor Tom story today. Pastor Tom um, did, was not a conflict avoider. He was not a conflict avoider, and I'm thankful for that. I really needed a non-conflict avoider 
voider in my life. So he was, an, he was not a conflict avoider. And I remember um, a story that I heard one time. Maybe it grew over time, like legends tell, right? But there was a story that someone came into a meeting with Pastor Tom, and they had um, shared on multiple occasions just destructive information and constantly seemed to be someone who liked to sow discord. Now, we like to avoid conflict. The Bible talks pretty strongly about that and what to do with those situations. And as this person in this meeting started sharing some of those stories with him, he said, please, just stop. A million sanctified hands could not possibly go and get all of the tales that you have told. And I just thought about that when we talk about our life. We think if there was a million sanctified hands, they could not possibly, like Humpty Dumpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. We are convinced that we're too broken, too messed up, too disqualified. 1 Corinthians 15, you guys can just write this down. Just write down. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. I encourage you, read it from the message. It's really awesome, awesome. Paul talks about how Jesus rose from the dead and how all the people he showed himself to, Jesus, he went to Peter and the ones that he loved, and he went to all of these and all this, and he said, and then, lastly, he came to me on the road to Damascus. He was so gracious and very generous. Verse 10, here I am, and I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others. Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth and you entrusted your lives. Romans chapter five. I love, 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 love. By entering, starting verse one, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us. Set us right with him. Make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he's already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And we know how patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. I love this. In alert expectancy such as this, we never 
We're never left feeling shortchanged. In the fair model, we'll always feel left feeling shortchanged. Quite, quite, <laughs> quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. But God put his love on the line for us, offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. First Timothy 6, 20. So my son Timothy, don't forget all that has been deposited within you. Don't forget all that's been deposited within you. Escape from the empty echoes of men and the perversion of twisted reasoning. Those thoughts that creep in, just like in Mark chapter 6, don't forget what's been deposited in you and let that twisted reasoning of man, that man thinking, I'm so-and-so, I'm just this, I'm just this, I'm just this, It's amazing, I have had on a couple of occasions, people try to pick out negative characteristics. I know what their intention is. People try to say, you are just like your dad, or you are a chip off the old block. And they meant it negatively. And there were times when I possibly did not see things, not possibly, there were times when I did not see things rightly that those things would hurt. And I, if someone were to tell me that today, I would take such honor in them telling me that. Instead of magnifying deficiencies that I did not like, I've let God reshape my view of people, including my father and others, and see him whole, redeemed, complete, and lacking nothing to where that all I can see is I'm just like a man who came from the mafia and ended up leading thousands to know Jesus and allowing me as a son to start a journey with God in a completely different place than where he started his journey from. So if I'm a chip off the old block and if I do make it to advance our family as much as he advanced our family, then look out. It's going to be phenomenal where my sons and daughters end up. So I just take it as a prophetic declaration over my life that every good and faithful thing that he walked in will be increased in me. But we take those things and we take those words 
I was, I, I don't know where we did it. I think it was Burning Ones Conference last year because I had some other notes there, but I was cleaning out some stuff this week in our bedroom that's been in renovation for a year, and it's a mess, but or six months or whatever. And I just got absolutely tired of looking through a box for shirts. So I just said, I'm going to get a little bit of order here. And I lost some important papers, so I thought, I'm going to straighten up these papers that are just everywhere. And I found some notes, and I don't know what activity we had everybody do. It was not a very good page of notes. It was a list of every word curse that had been spoken over my life. Not not an exhaustive list, obviously. I don't even know all of them. But that had been specifically spoken to me and I knew were damaging and caused wounds. And I pulled that list up and as I... I don't know what our activity was. If it was to bring healing to those places, it didn't work because when I read them, they hurt still <laughs> this week. And as I was reading them, I thought... Man, this hurts. Why does it hurt so bad? I'm going to be as absolute transparent as I possibly can. I used to, not that I don't ever and I'm perfect, but I used to way more frequently than I do now respond out of hurt with rage. Your pastor punched the glass out of the fellowship hall door in this church when I was a teenager. <laughs> and some bigger, older helper for the youth pushed me out. And I jumped up and I punched the glass and it shattered and I ran and hid in my parents' car thinking maybe things would pass over. But I would deal with them in rage, and, you know, it did not magically disappear. Even in ministry, I would deal with conflict in ways that were not healthy. And I still deal with conflict in ways that are not healthy sometimes, and I have to repent. I hope that I repent quickly. But I remember very specifically when God was really dealing with me about my behavior, how I respond to the pain that I feel. And I remember when he started helping me control those actions. But I remember specifically, I think I even talked with my wife, and there was a time when it, it was something hurtful, angering, rejecting. I don't remember even what it was at this point, but I remember just feeling just all of the emotion. And I did not respond with any of the actions. But I told my wife, man, I don't even know what's the point in not acting that way if you still have to feel this way. 
I don't think the goal is just to act the right way. I think the goal is healing to come in areas of our lives that take away the desire to respond in those ways. But it's so hard for us when we have constantly weighed ourselves on the balance of how well we do and how well we succeed. And anytime someone highlights a fault or a conflict, maybe says we didn't do it right, we have to go to war. Because I'm living on such a fine line of pleasing God or not, being successful in this Christian walk, working for approval instead of from approval, that if someone diminishes me, questions me, then I we have to get that taken care of. But in the world of favor, and we know we could never possibly do enough. We could never possibly balance it out enough. We could never make it then I believe we can get to a place. Todd White talks about it, and somehow I believe that man is there. But he says we could live a life that is unoffendable. I want to be unoffendable. Don't you want to be unoffendable? I mean, Romans 3 says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we're utterly incapable of living the glorious life God wills for us, God did it for us. That, if we really believe that, we would not have to go to war to make sure everyone knows we're not wrong and we're okay. Genesis 50, 20, as you meant evil against me, God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Matthew 5, 10, how enriched are you when you bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right? For that is when you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom, how ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. How ecstatic you can be. So leap for joy. Is that the emotion you feel? <laughs> leap for joy. Since your heavenly reward is great for your being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. Sometimes we're being hurt because we were stupid and we did things wrong. Sometimes you're not. As we continue to partner with the fight to end abortion and we are part of these services, these, the church at Planned Parenthood, I'm seeing more and more firsthand how vile the attack can be. I don't know from the outside, I can't judge people's intentions, but as we've been there and as we've been the team leading worship and as we have seen the entire events 
be absolutely bathed in the love of God. As we've seen them pray over people that come in and people that go out and people that make whatever decision they make, that they would know their story's not over. I can testify that this is not a hate-mongering organization. But I see them be vilified and attacked. Sometimes we will be attacked for doing nothing wrong. Sometimes we will be attacked because we were stupid. Sometimes we will feel disqualified because we didn't do enough, and sometimes we'll feel qualified because we think we overachieved. All of these things will lead us astray. They will. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I'm not going to read all of it. For sake of time, it's time to go, but I'll close with this. He says, man, if anybody has a reason to put confidence in their flesh and what they've accomplished and what they've done, I have more reason than any of y'all. Now, remember just a few minutes ago, he said, I am the least of all. And then he said, I'm the most of all. And he went through all of his accomplishments according to keeping the law and how meticulous he had been and how zealous he had been and how perfect he had been. And then he said, now I count everything that I used to count as what caused me to feel confidence and feel like I was somebody, I now count that as dung, poop, manure. Dude, what kind of free place is that? When I've attempted to do good things, whether I failed or whether I'm just attacked and I am doing good things, what if I never was finding worth from any of those things? So then when someone attempted to diminish my worth in attacking me or those things... It has absolutely no effect because I was not doing it to gain affirmation. I was just doing it because that's the assignment God put before me. Yes. How free can we be? Walking in favor, walking in freedom. You guys stand with me and we'll leave today. I saw the picture this morning of a scale and we have all put things in the scale. We've done some good, we've done some bad, we've, we've done things and how does our life weigh, weigh out right now? Are we weighing well enough so that we can feel good about our life or are we coming up short and we feel diminished? All of those things that we've done or not done or whatever, I just saw this little button that we push when we 
in our coffee shop, we make drinks and we weigh coffee and you put it in a picture or whatever and you, and you have all these things sitting on the scale, but you just want to weigh this little bit of coffee you're going to add. And you just hit this little button and it just tears it. You know what I'm saying? It just takes it to zero. That's what Jesus did. He just took it to zero. And now we just live a life with him. The God that all things were created by and fulfilled by is now the one who fulfills us with all things. We talked last week, take no thought about tomorrow. He's got tomorrow. Just today, just live this day with him. Live this day with him. Don't try to drag in yesterday. Don't try to drag in last week. Don't try to drag in. Don't let it, don't let it condemn you and don't let it puff you up. Some people say, oh man, my mom and dad were this. And some people say, my mom and dad were this. Your mom and dad don't determine your future. I don't mean to be callous, but somebody was telling me a story the other day about when they were 12 years old. And it had such a grip on who they are today. And I said, how old are you? And they told me their age, and it was older than me. I said, I think it's time that you don't talk about when you were 12 anymore. <laughs> Seriously. When you were 12, is hey, man, I, I, I promise I'm not trying to be callous. We all have things. I've got some massive things. I've got some massive things. In my, I'm sure you've got more massive things than me. I, I would never want to try to belittle your struggles, but also will not stand before you and belittle my God. So it's time that we move on. It's time that we move on. We can't be wounded animals in traps. We can't be like the world waiting to lash out at the slightest mistreatment or injustice because we know we deserve nothing. Remember last week, and it's like our birthday every day, and nobody promised to get us anything, and it just shows up. Remember, mine is on a Sunday, May 16th. Saying, but and no one's promised to bring me anything, but I'm sure things will just show up that day. But I don't want to modify anybody's behavior, but I pray for you what I pray for me that we would be free of those things that bind us and hold us and. We're hostage to. Golly, it is Pastor Tom Day. Another powerful thing he would always say was, you are held hostage by your emotions. You're held hostage by that old wound, that old thing, that old failure, that old success. It's driving your plane. It's taking over. 
and it has full reign of where you go. And not only you are destroyed by that, but all the people on your plane end up getting maimed and dismembered in it. So it's important for us to take back the cockpit. It's important for us to let the Spirit of God come in and rule and reign in our hearts and our minds. Because I can't redo yesterday. And yesterday is not going to be what sustains me today. Today is the day of salvation and his mercy is new. And his plans for me are amazing. And there's promise and there's fulfillment locked up in today. Locked up in these moments that we're experiencing right now. Locked up in that hug between a dad and a daughter. Locked up in these moments. This couple just hugged, great hug a minute ago. Rob and Shalink. It's locked up. In these moments, their fulfillment. What are you going to do if you're a jerk to your kids? Say, remember I took you to Disney World last year. How's that going to work for you? But I tell you what, if you love them today, you can also, you don't have to bring up when you were a jerk last year. Come on, just live today. Let God bring a fertile field to a desolate valley. Lord, we love you. We thank you for favor. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. That as much as some of our highlight reels may be amazing, I'm so thankful that I'm not defined by what I've done. Because even on my best days, I want to walk with you into greater I want to go glory to glory. I want to experience you, encounter you. I don't want to manage destructive behavior. I want to be free of everything that predisposes me and sets me up and hijacks me and tries to take authority and control over my life, causing me to crash and burn and take everybody out with me. I know I know our future is bright. Every day is full of potential because you love us. You've purchased us. You've redeemed us. And our assignment and our job and our role is to receive your love. And be your token worst of the worst that you demonstrate your patience to the world through. <laughs> and I'm qualified for that job. And I'm thankful that you love me. You're merciful to me. God, I pray that you would renew hope, renew passion. I pray that we would see past devastation. I pray that we'd see past, possibly we've already crashed and burned and it looks like everything around us is desolate and destroyed. God, I pray that we would see past 
the devastation. And we would see every moment is full of life and potential. And we would begin to agree with you and we would see life come. We would see life come. We'd see dead things being resurrected. Every day would be an adventure. Every day would be a miraculous journey with you that we see dead things come to life. I declare it in Jesus' name. We love you. Will you lead us? Will you comfort us? Will you help us forget? And will you cause us to see what you're doing, what's springing up? The road in the sea that nobody knew was there, the river in the desert, the road in the wilderness. Let us see your path and let us cling to your hand. Let us pursue the life that you passionately came to give us. In Jesus' name, you say, so be it. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 